When we say the solution is you, what we really mean is that the solution is you, the church. Today, we recognize Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday was given to us 18 years ago by a church in Africa, in, in Zambia, in fact. And there were uh, volunteers and missionaries who were there. And they witnessed that Orphan Sunday as a particular pastor pleaded with his neighborhood and his village in that church service. And he pleaded with them that their congregation would care, particularly for those who are experiencing great poverty and who are um, being devastated by AIDS in that particular village and in that church body. And he pleaded with them that they would give out of their own needs. And volunteers reported who were part of that church service 18 years ago that as people filed forward, there, there was one lady who gave a cabbage. And that there was another lady who took her sandals off and placed them in the offering baskets. And this congregation began something in giving out of their own need to care for those who are widows and orphans and in greater need. They began something that has literally spread around the world. Hundreds and hundreds of churches, the second Sunday in November, for us that's the first Sunday because we're camping next weekend, hundreds and hundreds of churches will recognize Orphan Sunday and this particular need. And today we continue that tradition as we have for the last eight years since we began as a church. Orphan Sunday services draw our attention to one of God's clearest calls to Christians. Jesus' little brother, James, often called James the Just, who was the pastor over the church in Jerusalem, he recorded these words in James 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is often criticized because he spoke so little of the cross and the resurrection. And I think that James was so close to Jesus, his older brother, and so close to this gospel that he assumed that the church he was writing to knew it but what he wanted to do was to be very clear of what the fruit of that cross and resurrection bear. And so we get verses like James 1, 27. And over the last years, we've seen God at work in a multitude of ways in our small church, Mercy Hill Church, when it comes to caring for widows and for orphans. There are 17 kiddos who are part of this small congregation who have been adopted or they are currently in the adoption process. And there are eight families that have worked with either safe families or with, or they've served as a foster family. And that they have done this work in order that this would be the norm and not the exception amongst the body of Christ. And when I think about this need and what James calls us to, and as I thought about today, I think the better question, rather than who is involved, I think the better question for our congregation is just who isn't involved. 
whether you're providing care for maybe a, a, a nephew and a niece who uh, need care during the day, or maybe they need a place to stay in the afternoons, or, or maybe you've had godchildren that you've loved as if they're your own, and you pray for them and, and minister to them. Maybe you've helped to stock the pantry at Mercy House or to keep the yard cut and now the leaves that are coming down will need to be raked and you're part of a missional community that helps to care for that home that cares for single moms or you're serving as a family coach to a mom at, at Mercy House or you're part of the people who give, there's 25 people who give $25 a month just to keep the Memphis Light Gas and Water cut on at Mercy House and to have funds that, that are there and available so that we can minister to moms who are in need. The list goes on and on and on. So many people engaged in sharing the love of Jesus by loving others. Others who may, don't have the parental resources that are needed in order for them to thrive and mature into adulthood. And we realize that Everyone in our congregation, and we realize that everyone in God's church isn't called to foster care, and everyone isn't called to adopt, but we know that the Bible calls each and every one of us to care and to love. And so one of the ways that as a congregation that God has given us one of our greatest opportunities to care for single moms and for those who are under-resourced, it's through a ministry called Mercy House. And I want to show you a video that's now three years old that reminds you about this ministry. And then I'm going to invite Jamie Stewart, our executive director, to come up and to share a couple of stories.
All right. Let me invite Jamie to come up. Jamie is our director over Mercy House, which means that she leads both um, our board. The Mercy House board is, is made up of, of church members here who have been highly involved in the process. And um, Jamie's been the director for not quite a year. You came in and kind of around in the spring of this last year. And um, so, Jamie, just a couple of questions for you. My first question is, Mercy House isn't really the first bit of involvement that you've had. You grew up in a ministry family, but um, adoption isn't new to your family as well. Um, how's your family gotten involved in adoption in the past? So for us, uh, our family began with adoption. With um, We adopted Britain, and we fostered a good handful of kiddos along the way. My dad, for a long time, ran a ministry called Set Free in Georgia, um, and it was a ministry desired um, that desired to take the one percenters off the street, and so um, a little bit similar to what we have going on here, but they just received people who um, would just literally walk off the street. There was no screening process. There was no, so sometimes those moms and dads came with children um, who needed care. They weren't under uh, under state care yet. And so we multiple times were able to care for children um, who just needed a place to be while their parents got back on their feet. So that's been a long journey for us. Our family began with adoption. I really feel like our family will um, continue in the story of fostering and adopting as well. That's great, yeah. Well, give us a, a story or two, I don't know, but... Yeah. Uh, what you've seen this last year. So currently what um, fostering and adopting looks like um, for our family, um, right now we're walking with a family who we've actually known the entire time we've been in Memphis. And they're in the process of something, I've kind of been wrestling with this um, terminology, but they're, the children in that family are sort of in the process of being orphaned. And what I mean by that is their mom is still around, but their mom's not around. And we've known them for a long time, and we've stepped in in different capacities. Their children have stayed with us at different times. Um, but one of her oldest, um, our friend Chiquita, one of her oldest children is now 16. Today's her birthday. She has a one-year-old son, um, and she's in the hospital with that son right now because of neglect on the family's part. He ate um, some chemicals in the home, and he's been in and out of Labonner for weeks. And I think she's just now coming to the point where she's realizing um, that she's being orphaned. So she knows her mom is somewhere, um, but her mom hasn't shown up at the hospital. Her mom hasn't been a part of this journey. I think her mom's living with a lot of guilt over what happened. And um, I think that, I tell that story because that's somebody we're walking closely with right now. But also because I think a lot of the moms that we've had come through Mercy House, and we've had quite a few this past year, um, I think a lot of them are in the process of realizing that they've either... Um, they're in the process of being orphaned, if that makes sense. They're in the process of kind of coming to the end of themselves and realizing this is either what my family gave me or didn't give me. Um, several moms that we've had come through actually grew up in foster care. Um, but they're kind of coming to the point of realizing I need community and my original biological family has not provided that community for me. And so... Um, I think it's a slow, grievous process, and, but a process that as we provide a family coach for each mom who's in the home, a, a process that that family coach can walk through with that mom. Some moms we only have for a few weeks. Um, some moms we've had for several months. It just sort of depends on their situation. It depends on if they're connected with safe families and so they're trying to get their children back. 
or if they're not. The mom that we have there currently, um, she actually went through the adoption process herself. She had a baby. She didn't know she was pregnant, had this baby unexpectedly. Um, another family has adopted the baby. So she's in a process of healing. She's in a process of kind of trying to come to grips with what happened in her story. She's got some other children who are being taken care of by family members around the city. Um, but she's beginning to understand what does it mean to be wanted by people, to, for people to want to be in a relationship for me, to people ask, for people to ask me the hard questions, for people to want to see me achieve my goals, because for a long time she hasn't had that in her life. Yeah. So the first story you told isn't even connected with the Mercy House Ministries. It's just connected with your family. And one of the things that uh, we've come to realize is that when it, when it comes to leaning into a community and, and forming relationships, there's some people like the Stewart family, like Jamie, who they've just grown up in a ministry context, and this is just the norm for them. And so they'll befriend people and say, hey, how can we love you and give and receive? And But for others, there are other people who are like, I don't know what that looks like. I haven't grown up in a ministry family. And so that's one thing that gets me excited about Mercy House, because this is a ministry where there, it's a program. In a sense, yes, there are relationships drive that program, but there are multiple ways that, that any of us can get involved. And so when we think about Mercy House Ministries, and we now have a website, thanks to our marketing crew um, on the board, and um, we, as we see this ministry moving forward, what are ways that, that our congregation and others can be involved? Sure, absolutely. So we do have a website now, and I'd love for you to know that website address so that you can give it, hand it out to people. We also have some brochures that will be coming soon. So when we have those available, even if you just had a couple in your car so that you could pass them, I see people all the time on the side of the street, and I think, ooh, I bet they'd be a really great fit for Mercy House, a place to come, some transitional housing just to kind of get on their feet again. So we'll have those soon. Um, another way that you can be involved is we do have a 25 for 25 campaign um, where you can give $25 a month to help support the ministry and what's happening at Mercy House. If you're a part of a missional community or even if you're not, we kind of rotate through the year. Um, different missional communities will um, supply... Um, we call it stock the house. It's everything from toilet paper to um, some basic cleaning supplies, those kinds of things that are needed for the house. Mitchell communities also work to uh, keep the yard put together and, and presentable. Um, when a, a resident moves out of the house, our missional communities step in and make sure that the space is um, clean for the next person to come in. So if you're a part of a missional community, your missional community will communicate that with you. If you're not a part of a missional community, uh, myself, there are several board members that can kind of point you in the right direction if you just want to be involved and be hands-on with something. That's great. Yeah. Great, yes. Uh, before you go, I just want to say thanks to our board members. Um, they are obviously Jamie, who leads the board, and Stacy Sanders, and Kristen Penn, and Matt Nason, and Peter Braswell, and Matt Roberts. Did I get everybody? Yep. Stellar group of people, yep. Yeah, so they meet, they meet monthly, and we're so thankful for them. And obviously... Um, last but not least, Amanda, our resident assistant. Will you wave, Amanda? If, if you don't know Amanda, you need to get to know Amanda. That's right. So Amanda is there at Mercy House on a daily basis, loving on moms as they're making breakfast in the kitchen together. She heads out to school and teaches um, little bitty preschool, pre-K, and then comes back 
And we're so grateful for Amanda and the role that she plays. So if you have questions, there's a contact form on the website that you can utilize or you can just grab Jamie or Amanda and you for can sure. talk with them. And I'll just say one more note about Amanda, um, which I've said before uh, in front of Covenant members, but I wish the video showed just an update of what the house looks like now because it really just is beautiful and um, so welcoming for ladies who are coming in who just need a, a quiet, um, still place to rest their heads, um, to have some stability. And that's what we find for most of our ladies who come in. They just need a few days of just nothing, you know, take a hot shower, be able to rest and relax. And the house provides that. And when Amanda moved in, she did such a good job of making the house go from being a house to a home. So if you've never gone over there and actually seen the space, um, I think you would be tickled just to see. It just feels like a welcoming, um, caring home. And she does such a good job to just build relationship with the lady. I, every resident that we've had has commented on their relationship with Amanda. And so she works hard to stay in constant communication with them. Um, then she has to, you know, kind of let us know what's going on. And she really... Um, does a good job of orchestrating all of that. And I'm incredibly thankful for her. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. Well, it's, it's certainly a great deal of fun to be able to walk, look at that video from three years ago and to be able to see that God did supply that $25,000 and God is at work through this ministry. And so our hope is this is not, this is not like a plug to try to get you know, volunteers uh, filled into certain slots. No, this is just our testimony of what God has called us to as a church. And when we've stepped out in obedience to see the fruit of what God is doing, and then to invite you to say, hey, just listen to what God's calling you to do. And, and if he's calling you to step in and get involved, then absolutely do that. Um, Grab a Bible, turn to Galatians 4. I'm not going to preach a long message. I want to give a short devotion this morning. Because on an Orphan Sunday, probably one of the biggest mistakes that we could make as a church, or that any church could make, would be to believe that adoption is primarily about a few families who might feel called to that, or about some kids who have been adopted because that is not primarily for the church what adoption is about. The truth is Orphan Sunday is most clearly and most emphatically about every, every man, woman, or child who call themselves a follower of Jesus because the Bible declares that adoption isn't just a metaphor or a picture of the gospel. Adoption is the gospel. Every person who is redeemed by God because of the work of Jesus has been adopted by God as his son or daughter. And this is it's a reality that will far outlast the physical adoptions that take place within our families because this is a spiritual adoption. An everlasting adoption. And so look with me at Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read four verses beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 4 says it's important that Jesus came, and it uses this term, under the law. Because all human beings are spiritual slaves. We're slaves to sin. We all are desperately trying to live up to some kind of standard. We're all spiritually anxious in our relationship with God. That is either remote or non-existent because of our sin. Each of us have sinned against God in ways that made us unlovable, that made us unacceptable, and that made us outcasts. And so from a spiritual perspective, every human that's born in this world, the Bible says that they're, they're an orphan, that they have turned away from God. But verse 5, Jesus has redeemed those under the law, removing all penalty or debt. Redeemed is the same word here as, that is used for the freeing of a slave. And Jesus has freed us from slavery to the law because he came under the law. That's what verse 4 says. He came under the law and he lived a perfect life. And then he died in our place on the cross. He has fulfilled all the law's demands and he frees us from the law. And so Paul, writing in Galatians, uses this term adoption or others have translated the term sonship. And he's referring or he's, he's giving us a picture that refers to the Greco-Roman practice in which a, a childless, wealthy man could take one of his servants and adopt him. He would cease to be a slave and instantly receive all the financial and legal privileges within the estate and outside in the world as his son or as his heir. Tim Keller says it this way. It's as if Paul is saying that not only have we as spiritual slaves been removed from death row, but that God has given us the Congressional Medal of Honor. We're now seen as heroes the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been extended to each of us who are outcast, who are far from God because of Jesus' work on the cross. And as a result of that, in verse 6, Paul writes and he says, there's four results of the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts. He says that we cry out and that our crying is a strong word with passion and feeling because as we come to know Jesus, we actually experience Jesus internally. It's a family thing. It's a relational thing that we experience as sons and daughters of God. We cry out because kids don't write their mom and dad's speeches. They just talk to them. They just cry out. They just share when they're upset or afraid or happy. 
And so we cry out to God our Father. Thirdly, we cry out because God's real presence is in us. God is near us. We are his children. And finally, we cry out with this really odd term, Abba, which means Papa or Daddy. It would be the first words, most likely, that a child would utter. Just like you've heard a kid say, Dada, literally, Abba. And we cry out, Abba, because we have the assurance of the love of God that he has poured into our hearts because of the work of Jesus if we've come to know God. In verse 7, we experience adoption and sonship by crying out, Abba. And that's really an interesting word that Paul would use. Think about this for a minute. Why would Paul write to the Galatians, primarily a Gentile group of people, and use this Aramaic word that they most likely didn't even understand? Why would Paul write using the word Abba? Because it's the same word that Jesus used when he talked with God the Father. When you look in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, when you see Jesus cry out in pain in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Abba, may this cup pass from me. Jesus is saying, Papa, Dada, may this cup pass from me. That's the kind of relationship, not only that Jesus had with his Father, but that we have. Each of us who have surrendered our hearts to Christ, who have turned to him in repentance, realizing that we are sinners, that we have gone our own way, and each of us who have turned to Christ in repentance by faith, the Bible says we have been adopted by God because of Jesus' work in freeing us from the law, in giving us righteousness, and now we're heirs. And now we have the opportunity to live in the warmth and the joy and the intimate relationship of a father, perfect father and child relationship that we have between us and God. This is what it means to be adopted by God. And this is what fuels our passion for adoption. This is what fuels our passion for caring for the least of these in this world. Because church, get this. We've come to realize that we were the least of these. But because of Jesus... We have the opportunity to be adopted, to be called children of God. John Piper wrote this about his church, Bethlehem Baptist Church. And I love this quote. He says, Few things bring me more satisfaction than seeing a culture of adoption flourish at Bethlehem. It means that our people are looking to their heavenly Father for their joy rather than rejecting the stress and cost of children in order to maximize their freedom and comforts. When people embrace the pain and joy of children 
Rather than using abortion or birth control simply to keep children away, the worth of Christ shines more visibly. Adoption is as far as possible from the mindset that rejects children as an intrusion. Praise God for people ready to embrace the suffering known and unknown. God's cost to adopt us was infinitely greater than any cost we will endure in adopting and raising children. Essentially what John Piper is saying is that when we see a culture of adoption and foster care flourish, we see a culture of people who get the gospel, who understand that they were spiritual orphans, that God has come and that he has redeemed them and that he has called them his own and he has brought them into relationship. And all that foster care and adoption is, is the fruit of living out what God has done for us. We pray that it becomes the norm to see the church care well for Jesus' little brothers and sisters who are fatherless, without mothers, in need of a forever family. And we can play a role in that through adoption, through foster care, through safe families, through circles of people who support them. Listen, don't start thinking right now, oh, I don't know if I can do those big things. This isn't about doing big things. None of us are equipped to do big things. Only God does big things. But God does invite us in to take small steps of obedience. My wife isn't here today. She's speaking at another church called River City Church out in Bartlett, and then she'll be at their Arlington campus next week. And they have a campaign that they've done called Be Rich Toward God. And as a church, they want to give toward two ministries that are outside of their church body, and one of those that they've chosen that they've chosen to give towards is Mercy House. And so we're excited to see as they take up an offering over the month of November that they're going to take that offering and split it in half and half of it will go toward Mercy House as a ministry. We didn't plan that. God just put it on their hearts. And so God has plans for how he wants to use that money and we're not even sure what all those details are yet, but we're excited to continue, to continue in obedience to what God calls us to. We've mentioned safe families several times this morning. Really practically, safe families is a way to get your feet wet if you're interested in foster care, but you're not ready to go and take lots of classes and, and do all the legal paperwork. Safe families is a way that the church, the body of Christ, can take their family, a family like my family or your family, and they can provide a home to a small child who is in need temporarily while their mom gets back on their feet. And so many of our moms who are staying at Mercy House and who are part of that ministry, many of their children um, are being cared for through safe families, which is the work of many churches across Memphis. You can go to safe-families.org if you're interested in, in more information. But there's lots of ways that we can get involved. One thing that's very clear as I began to do some research and to look online, is that one thing that's very clear is that 
all the statistics are out there. Like if you want to know how many kids need to be adopted, if you want to know who those kids are, this will blow your mind. You can go to TennesseeKidsBelong.org or you can go to HeartGalleryOfTennessee.com. There are literally bios and videos of kids there and you don't have to fill out like a form in order to see them. You can get online and you can watch videos of young men and women who desire to have a forever family. You can see that. Mac, I see you. I'm going I'm to get you in just a second. There are over 8,000 children in the Tennessee foster care system. Less than 4,000 foster families to provide homes for those foster children. Ever since our family um, went through PATH class and ever since we became um, a foster family, I don't know that there's a week that's hardly gone by, by that I haven't received a phone call asking for emergency care or for respite care. Um, to bring someone in for a day or two, someone that's in an emergency crisis or situation. We haven't always been able to respond to those, um, but the need is great. The opioid epidemic in Tennessee has caused a significant increase in the number of children entering the system and having parental rights terminated. The state has the second highest rate of opioid prescriptions in the nation. 400 children are waiting for an adoptive home. A thousand Tennessee youth age out of foster care every year. That means they're 18 years old. They're given some vouchers for the McDonald's that's closest to the apartment that they'll rent. They're given their scripts for their meds for the next 30 days. And they're given a map to show them where the nearest bus routes are. And they said, good luck. You've aged out. What do you think their chances are? Many who have grown up in foster care most of their life. Children over eight years of age who are available for adoption have a 20% chance of being adopted. And most face 10 more years in the foster care system before aging out. some ways that ordinary people can care for orphans just really practically say families for children Katie said tell them I'm looking for more host families and more family coaches so host family says we'll invite someone into our home for anywhere from a week up to maybe about three months and we'll treat them just like we'll treat one of our children and we're just going to provide care for them and uh, these are usually small children um, who are in an emergency and a crisis setting. And then a family coaches someone who comes alongside one of the moms whose children are being hosted. And they just, they're a mentor. They say, hey, maybe I can give you a ride for a job interview. Uh, maybe I can be here with you and help you understand the importance of having a checking account and, and how to set that up. Maybe we can talk through just your next step and what you desire to do to get back on your feet, to pay your MLG and W bill down, whatever's needed. That's one way, save families. Secondly, I want to recruit new foster and adoptive families. I dare you to get on the Tennessee Kids Belong page or the Heart Gallery and just to begin to look at some of those bios. 
Listen, it might be that you just pray for one particular child that God puts on your heart and you advocate for them. You can post their bio to your social media and, and ask other friends to pray for them. You never know. You might have a Facebook friend that adds a son or daughter to their family simply because you took a few seconds to post a young man or woman's bio to your social media feed. There's so many ways that we can get involved. You may say, we're not at a point. Our family's not healthy, healthy right now or we're not at a point where we could adopt or where we could do foster care. Maybe you could be a respite family. Maybe you could be a family that says, hey, your kiddo can stay at our house one weekend when you need to go out of town or when you just need a break. We'd love to provide just care for them for 24 hours or for 48 hours. We can do that. There's ways that you can be involved. A third way that you could be involved is world relief. Uh, Chris and Jamie Stewart's missional community, they made it their mission this last year um, to meet a family through world relief. So they met this family from Burundi at the airport and literally welcomed them to the United States and then taught them how to grocery shop at Kroger and just everything on down. And I can tell you, that's a very rewarding process. It's a very rewarding thing to do. There was a, there was a, a man named John when I was 23 years old in seminary. And John Hassan became my friend. He was 40 years old from Nigeria. And he showed up and he didn't know what deodorant was and he didn't know how to drive a car. And as a 23-year-old, I was able to show him what deodorant was and teach him how to drive a car. And it was so rewarding. And teach him not to watch Maury. No, don't watch Maury. That's not, that's not the United States. Please don't watch Maury Povich. Um, it's a lot of fun to be able to meet needs of those who are just looking for hospitality and gospel community. Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. And uh, I had watched the first video a bunch of times because I didn't want to cry today. And uh, in 2010, God turned our family's hearts towards adoption and foster care. And um, we heard a statistic that just boggled our minds. 140 million orphans throughout the world. 140 million orphans. And God didn't let that statistic leave us. And God worked in 2010 and we added Johannes to our family and there's a long story of God's faithfulness and how God provided. And we adopted Johannes from Ethiopia when he was almost four years old. The whole process took less than nine months. And in November of last year, I came to this service having planned it and having asked a couple of families to share their testimonies of adoption and foster care. And sitting here... As a 42-year-old, God began to put it on my heart and on Katie's heart to step back out into foster care. And we had no plans of adopting again. And over the last year, we've been, but we've been advocating for him. God put him on our hearts and we, start, we jumped into PATH class. And a couple of months in, his, his bio became unavailable. 
And we thought, well, what are we doing? Why are we going to these path classes that honestly, they're pretty boring. And um, sitting through all these classes, what are we doing? What's the person that God put on our hearts? He's no longer available. And uh, shortly after that, I think in March, he became available again. And we had just determined, well, God knows what he's doing better than we do. So we're just going to keep moving down this path. And it's been almost 365 days. I think it was 353 days, Katie said, from the time that we began this journey until the time that's placed with our family this this previous Friday. And um, our hope is that would be part of our forever family if he can put up with us long enough. That's what I've told him. Um, and he has a lot to put up with. But uh told me something when we were talking about this service yesterday. Do you want to say anything or do you want me to say it? You want to say it? Okay, you can come up and say it. I had a message that he wanted to share with you guys coming from his experience. So, you want to stand down here? So my intention was not to do the hard sell by inviting up here, obviously. But last night he said, I'd really like to tell them that there are a lot of other kids like me. And uh, I, I don't know how to make it much more personal than that. And um, what's it hurt? What's it hurt one more child? I like that. So um, as we think about what Christ has done for us, the fact that Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. In light of that, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate our own adoptions because of Christ, consider how God might be calling you to step in and to be involved And by all means, praise God for the gift of Jesus that makes each of us sons and daughters of God through adoption. Let's pray together.